0: That is not the way I normally do it, but I'm on about take 10. I feel like I have marbles in my mouth this morning, but uh, thank you for tuning in to episode 116 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, taking this very carefully so that I don't have to do another take, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back. Here's where the marbles came into play. An online pornography addiction recovery program that is helping people Reclaim their lives from pornography addiction. If you or anyone that you know is struggling with pornography addiction or any type of compulsive sexual behavior, please point them to pathbackrecovery.com. There, you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. Again, that is pathbackrecovery.com, and it is uh, it is continuing to grow and continuing to help people who apparently had had a stigma around. Um, hey, I don't have a problem. I don't have a pornography addiction. And that's fine. If uh, just please test the pathback theory out, go to pathbackrecovery.com and uh, just find a way to put it behind you once and for all. If it's uh, if if this was the last time, um, 100 different times, then there really are ways, like the Path Back, that uh, you can put it behind you once and for all. So again, pathbackrecovery.com. So today, I I read an article back in December, and I never got to it. And it was about four attachment styles. And uh, this is some really, really interesting um, information. Interesting information on how you interact as a couple or how you interact in the workplace, but I think that a quick study of these four attachment styles could do a lot of good. But before we get to that, just a quick reminder, please go to TonyOverbay.com and sign up there to find out more information on upcoming programs and exciting things like that. And stop by Instagram, find Virtual Couch, and please follow. And then also Facebook, Tony Overbay Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist. So I think that is all the business. And before I start today, then let me get on to... Well, actually. A lot of nice feedback on change. I'm on week two uh, at my new office, and I had mentioned that a little bit in one of the episodes last week, and just a lot of nice feedback. So I appreciate that. Change is good. I do want to do an episode on the data behind change because uh, there truly are. There are new people in the office. There are new sounds and smells, and there are new streets to drive and new restaurants, and uh, just change is good. You're not running away from problems, but uh, you are now using that new data to, uh, to kind of hopefully elicit some new behaviors. And uh, change is an opportunity to change your own behavior and your own view and reaction to the things that you come into contact with. So change is good. And I think that I also had mentioned in a previous podcast that I was trying to figure out the thermostat and turn it off so that I wouldn't have the air in the background, but I found out that this is kind of exciting. Um, there's white noise being pumped into the building that I met because there are some people here, uh, divorce attorneys, as a matter of fact, that I thought this was really interesting. So they are as equally aware as I am of when I have high conflict couples and how they may tend to get a little bit boisterous And so white noise can often help shield those boisterous expressions from those in the waiting room. So um, if you hear that in the background, I don't think that maybe you would hear that, but uh, just pretend it's the air conditioning then. We'll go with that. Um, All right, let's get to the four attachment styles. So where does this come from? I love talking about attachment. There's the concept in emotionally focused therapy, the couples therapy that I love, about secure attachment. And then as you seek to secure your attachment with your partner, then a lot of the bumps along the way seem more or less insignificant or you now have a way to to deal with those bumps that come along the way. Bumps in conversation or parenting styles, that sort of thing. You have a way to communicate about them. But the reason why we have those bumps is because we are often trying to test that attachment or that bond with our partner. And when that bond doesn't feel very secure, that's when we jump into one of these, as they call them in, in emotionally focused therapy, uh, the protest polka, the fight and flee, the the blame the bad guy, the pursue and withdrawal, all of these different uh, dances that we find ourselves in. Those are all, in a sense, just these these concepts where we try to put ourselves out there, put our hearts out there. And then when our partner doesn't respond in a securely attached way, a productive way, um, then that's why we say then people go back into their bunkers and they start firing shots because you know, All they desperately want is this attachment to their partner, and uh, they don't often know how to get it. And a lot of that can stem to having different attachment styles. So before I jump on these four attachment styles, let me go really, really quickly over to um, who many people feel is the father of attachment theory, and that is a guy named John Bowlby. And he lived uh, from 1907 to 1990, and he was a psychoanalyst, kind of like Freud, and he believed that mental health and behavioral problems could be attributed to early childhood. And so what his theory, his theory of attachment, which was pretty revolutionary at the time, suggested that children come into the world biologically pre-programmed to form attachments with others because this will help them survive. And I know it sounds kind of interesting to say, hey, that was a revolutionary concept. But uh, look back in the 19, what, 20s, 30s, that sort of time frame. And – psychotherapy in general was still just brand new and people just kind of figured that we just did things because we did things and, and there wasn't a lot of study behind why we did these things and apparently Bowlby really liked this concept this study of imprinting that was done by a guy named Lorenz back in 1935 and Lorenz showed that attachment was built in it was innate and his study was done with young ducklings so therefore that uh, that imprinting or attachment had a survival value. So then Bowlby believed that attachment behaviors are instinctive and that they would be activated by all sorts of conditions that seem to threaten the achievement of proximity, such as uh, separation from an attachment partner or insecurity or fear, that sort of thing. And Bowlby then went on to talk also about things like uh, fear of strangers was an important survival mechanism that was kind of built in by nature. And that uh, babies were born with this tendency to display certain built-in innate behaviors, which he called social releasers. Um, and those were things that ensured proximity and contact with the mom. So those were things like crying or crawling, um, all these things that would kind of make sure that the baby had the, was starting to form the secure attachment primarily with the mom. Um, one of those social releasers I love too is smiling. And uh, I have to tell you in uh, in church yesterday, there was this little just curly haired baby that was sitting in front of us that was uh, blowing out raspberries the entire time, had a gift of blowing out raspberries and uh, would just smile and talk about a way to to ensure proximity I mean I just wanted to be anywhere near that baby as that baby continued to smile Uh, but I digress so let's get to these these attachment these four styles of attachment because I think this stuff is very fascinating so I'm pulling from two different places one is an article that was in the New York Times by a woman named Elizabeth Grace Saunders and she is a time management coach this was the one that I initially saw it was back on December 18th and it said the four attachment styles and how they sabotage your work-life balance. And then I also just pulled from a couple of other places uh, on the interwebs, um, even, even the great Wikipedia, to, uh, to pull some information about attachment styles. So what I want to do is I want to talk about these four attachment styles. Then I'll, I'll do a little bit of uh, kind of the, the, the clinical explanation, and then we'll go into what um, Elizabeth Saunders talked about in this article. Because I think she does a nice job of, a, of applying or making it applicable to your daily life. So to start, she talks about, she says, our subconscious programming, which was developed through our youth and into adulthood, plays a huge role in how we survive and thrive. And at this point, her article is about the workplace. So how your attachment style could affect your office relationships. And I think that, as you see, if we dig down about your attachment style, how it affects your personal relationships, primarily with your partner, maybe with your kids, your family, that sort of thing. And uh, so so Elizabeth says that you should know... Um, when to say no when you're asked to take on a new project but oftentimes you still say yes or your boss says that your report is good enough but then you still go back and work until midnight perfecting it or you're just stuck wanting to do better but ensure that trying will even help so a lot of times you do nothing so if you are ever frustrated with these kind of irrational behaviors that you are aware of um, a lot of that is this deep subconscious programming that we call your attachment style and your attachment style really does just kind of play a role in how you relate to other people and attachment style discussions typically arise in relation to the bond between parents and children or in romantic partners. But as Elizabeth talks about in her article, she says that in her work as a time management coach, she sees that individuals also attach differently in the workplace. And I think that was a very good um, application of these four attachment styles. So here's how to identify your attachment style. And then the goal here is with this awareness. And I think that's the thing I want you to keep in mind as we're going over these, that with that awareness, just kind of identifying what your attachment style is, kind of look at the way that your attachment style and some of the things that we'll talk about, how how you interact with other people. And just that awareness alone should be kind of step one of saying, okay, I see what I'm doing here. And uh, and that would be step one in trying to identify ways to kind of, you know, uh, break that attachment pattern or that attachment style. So so the first we're going to start with, there's some, they're, they're considered insecure attachments. The first one is called anxious and preoccupied. And uh, and so just simply put, this is a negative view of yourself and then a positive view of others. So, so people who have um, anxious preoccupied attachment types, they tend to agree with these following statements. And this is kind of the clinical stuff that I love. These are the statements they identify with. Again, anxious preoccupied. I want to be completely emotionally intimate with others, but I often find that others are reluctant to get as close as I would like, and I am uncomfortable being without close relationships, but I sometimes worry that others don't value me as much as I value them. And I think that's a key component of an anxious preoccupied attachment style, that, uh, that I worry that people don't value me as much as I value them. So people with this style of attachment, they typically look for high levels of intimacy or approval. Um, responsiveness from their attachment figure. So these are people that might, if you jump into the world of love languages, might be more of uh, physical touch folks. They might be more of words of affirmation folks. So again, negative view of self, but they do still have this positive view of others. So they look to their attachment partner as somebody that really is important to them. And if they can kind of get those, again, words of affirmation, uh, the intimacy, the approval, the responsiveness, then that's how then they feel like there is an attachment there. So sometimes they value intim- intimacy to, to such an extent that they become dependent on that attachment figure. And I see this in, in marriage therapy a lot. They become dependent to the point of where, hey, if, this, if my partner would only um, be more intimate or if they would kind of tell me what I'm doing, that I'm doing well more often, you know, then, so there's that dependency, then I can go out there and slay the dragon. So a lot of times they feel this sense of anxiousness and it only recedes when they are in contact with their attachment figure. So they often doubt their own worth as a person. They blame themselves for their attachment figure's lack of responsiveness. So if they are uh, with one of the other other attachment styles that we'll talk about here in a bit, then they just blame themselves. They're saying, man, obviously I'm not good enough for my attachment figure. That sounds very romantic, right? My attachment figure. But uh, they feel like they're not good enough to gather the respect of their attachment figure. So people who are anxious and preoccupied with attachment, a lot of times they exhibit high levels of emotional expressiveness, or emotional dysregulation, or worry, or impulsiveness in their relationships. So they might be able they might blurt things out, things might be good one day, bad the next day, um, emotionally expressive, you know, just why, you know, why, why don't you appreciate all the things I do for you? So again, that's anxious and preoccupied. Um, kind of jump into uh, to Elizabeth Sander or Saunders part in the article. She said that anxious preoccupied attachment, it's a fear of upsetting others, drives individuals with an anxious preoccupied attachment style. Um, so she said this and I love how this she applies this. This fear based approach leads to counterproductive behaviors, for example, struggling with the compulsion to check email incessantly just to make sure everything's OK. She goes on to say, how do you tell this is you in the workplace? If you operate from an anxious attachment style, you'll have at least two major time management struggles. The first is that your attention will get hijacked whenever you experience a perceived threat. You will feel negative bias, uh, meaning that the email from a client must be a complaint and the lack of acknowledgement from the boss must mean that they're already looking for my replacement. So although these thoughts might not be true, um, and they're likely not, but your anxious brain jumps to these negative conclusions and you get obsessed with these issues until they are resolved. Uh, she said the second time management issue is a severe allergy to setting boundaries. The idea of saying no may terrify you. And uh, man, I have to tell you, I don't know if you're one of these kind of you know, you'll end up finding a lot of things that you might identify with these four different attachment styles. This one screams to me, you know, uh, the hey, the you know, this is kind of I'm feeling a lot around this one um, because it is that saying no, I've had such a hard time of saying no over the years. So what do you do about it to improve your time management? you'll need to calm your nervous system and get out of that fight or flight mode every time something happens at work. She said the best calming strategies include positive self-talk, peer support. Um, she said, uh, as positive self-talk, is not necessarily sitting in front of the mirror, Stuart Smalley style back in the, the Saturday Night Live days saying that I'm good enough and doggone to people like me. Um, she said it's more like, hey, let's wait and see what happens or everything's gonna be okay. You know, and so if you still feel agitated, then you might need to ask for support to get clear headed uh, enough to move forward. And that can mean addressing the situation directly with a client or a colleague or talking to an outside person for reassurance because if left to your own devices, then you are going to think worst case scenario and the sky is falling. So uh, one more with this one. She says when it comes to setting boundaries, start with something subtle like uh, staying off email till, till after you leave the office. Um, or staying off email after you leave the office not until but after you leave the office that way you don't need to say no I can't do this tonight. You simply don't know about the assignment until the next day. So that can be a, a boundary to set Okay, that was a, that was attachment style number one number two dismissive and avoidant So here's the quick breakdown of that one dismissive and avoidant is a positive view of self and a negative view of others So people with a dismissive style of avoidant attachment tend to agree with these statements uh, I am comfortable without close emotional relationships or it is important to me to feel independent and self-sufficient, and I prefer not to depend on others or have others depend on me. So people who have this attachment style, this dismissive avoidant attachment style, uh, they do desire a high level of independence, of of kind of being on their own, doing things on their own, and this desire, for this, this strong desire for being on their own, does appear as an attempt to avoid attachment altogether. So they do look at themselves, and this isn't. And none of these are said with judgment. This is kind of just data we're trying to gather because they view themselves as self-sufficient, um, and uh, and they try to. They're invulnerable to the feelings associated with being closely attached to others. So they often deny needing close relationships, and some of them might even view those close relationships as not productive. Um, not surprisingly, they seek less intimacy with attachments, uh, who they often view less positively than they view themselves. And um, people commonly note that this defensive character, this is a defensive character in an attachment style. People with a dismissive and avoidant attachment style, they tend to suppress or hide their feelings and they tend to deal with rejection by even putting more distance between themselves and the sources of their rejection, which could be their relationships. So rather than, and here's in simplistic terms, rather than talking it out, they just kind of feel like, all right, that guy, that, that, that person did me wrong, and so I'm gonna put some distance between me and that person. So let's uh, jump into the practical world. Um, Elizabeth Saunders, how she talked about this. So she she says the same thing. Individuals with dismissive avoidant attachment at work tend to think that they are smart and everybody else is stupid. I guess that's a little more blunt. <laughs> um, well, and she even says maybe not exactly that stupid, but definitely not as smart as they are. They most likely decide what they should do and then they ignore what others want. And this often leads to conflict or mistrust. And she says that this mistrust can lead to others attempting to micromanage and monitor them, which just makes them more annoyed and more likely to dismiss input. So then we get in this kind of this pattern of this battle. So she said, how do you tell this is you in the workplace? For those around you, your biggest time management issue is most likely that you miss deadlines and you don't do the work that they consider. Most important, there's the key, that they consider. From your perspective, the biggest time management issue tends to be working late. Long hours typically arise when you get fixated on doing a project really well, your way. Or they can happen because you want to work on what you consider to be important first and then uh, you also have to complete work for others. So what do you do about this type of um, attachment style? She says to make a change you need to start by acknowledging that other people may have a point. You may not agree with their state of priorities, you might think that you know better and you might even think that the work that they do is in fact, she says, stupid. But if you want to achieve greater success, um, uh, if you want to have people micromanage you less and work fewer hours then there will be times where you're better off listening to and doing what other people say. So she, she says to make this shift, you might need to consciously work on your emotional intelligence, including recognizing that an idea different from yours is not necessarily wrong and that there is value in working harmoniously harmoniously with others. And I do feel like this is a struggle. Again, if I pull this back into the marriage relationship, there might be a better way to load a dishwasher. And I uh, mean, I'm telling you, I, I can't even imagine how many people right now just said, wait, wait, he's, he's talking about me. Because I get that argument all the time that a, a spouse will say the wife in this point says, I really could use your help if you could just load the dishwasher. Guy will say, fine, you bet I'll do it. Um, but when I do it, you redo it because, you know, you say that I don't do it right. And then sometimes she will say, well, well, I mean, you really don't because you need to put things here, here and here. And so that's one of those where um, maybe it is OK to kind of let the dishwasher be loaded a different way. And uh, if your goal then is that you need help and that you are kind of putting that out there as this emotional bid, saying, I need help and allowing your husband to do it a little bit differently or husbands, my goodness, you know, we're the worst at this, though, of saying that, uh, hey, here's the way that we need things done. And our spouse, our our wife might be just juggling kids, maybe even literally, which would be impressive, Um, but just a lot of things. And then she gets to something and it might not be exactly how we want it done. And then we say some negative or dismissive thing, uh, which is not productive. Okay, we got two more to go. Here we go. Fearful and avoidant. So a fearful and avoidant attachment style. Um, This means unstable, fluctuating or confused view of self and view of others. So fearful and avoidant means uh, this unstable, confused view of self and others. People often who have losses or or trauma, um, a lot of times things like sexual abuse in your childhood or adolescence can develop this type of attachment uh they tend to agree with the following statements i am somewhat uncomfortable getting close to others i want emotional close relationships but i find it difficult to completely trust others or to depend on them and that's a key one i sometimes worry that i will be hurt if i allow myself to become too close to other people so they often feel uncomfortable with emotional closeness and and the mixed feelings that are combined with sometimes unconscious negative views about themselves and their attachments so oftentimes fearful avoidant attachment style uh, these are the folks that that they feel themselves as almost unworthy of responsiveness from their attachments. They don't trust the intention. They think that people are being manipulative, um, and a lot of, because you know some of that trauma as a child were people that were manipulative and, and manipulating them in very very harmful ways. So similar to dismissive and avoidant attachment styles, people with fearful avoidant attachment style will seek less intimacy. Um, They will look for less from their attachments and they will frequently then suppress or deny their feelings and just kind of stuff things down inside. So because of this, they are a lot less comfortable expressing affection. So let's jump over to uh, Elizabeth Saunders applying this to the workplace. She says stuck is the best word to describe those who are fearful avoidant attachment style. They have the fear of those with anxious attachment without the confidence that they can make things right. I think that's kind of uh, that that makes a lot of sense, right? Um, The fear of those with anxious attachment but without that confidence that they can make things right. So they don't, they lack that confidence that, that, you know what, if I just put my head down and do the work that I can do the work, Um, it just might, I I might not have to rely on others. So somebody with anxious attachment would quickly open up a potentially quote threatening email and, uh, they would reply to it as quickly as possible to avert danger. And somebody with fearful avoidant attachment would see the email, um, they'd freak out about it and they would never open it. So, um, and, I, and I don't know if I pointed that, if I made that clear enough, the, so somebody with anxious attachment would quickly open it and then just get rid of it, deal with it. Somebody with fearful avoidant attachment would see it, freak out about it, never open it. Uh, and this is the part where you can have little bits and pieces of all of these different attachment styles, as I often have a giant stack of mail that I will get to later. Um, never reading the email creates a compounding, paralyzing dread. There's the problem. They fear bad outcomes so strongly that they never discover if the email from a client was simply an FYI or if it was a full-out tirade. They don't trust themselves or the system, so there's this undercurrent of why even try in their day-to-day work. Uh, Elizabeth says, how to tell if this is you? You tend to spend most of your time in the state of being overwhelmed because you fear everything and feel very little power in doing anything about your fears, much less the work that is also beginning to pile up. So this can lead to you trying to avoid it all and often escape, get lost in social media. There's a big key. Uh, Try organizing and reorganizing your desk or perpetually thinking about how to explain why your work isn't done. So what do you do about it? If you fall into this pattern, she says that you will need a two-pronged strategy. The first involves reducing your fear response. Try some of the calming strategies that uh, people who have anxious attachment styles, such as positive self-talk or support from colleagues and friends. And I'm always a big fan of throwing up a nice plug for a nice little mindfulness, nice little meditation here. Get outside of your head, uh, focus on something, a little breathing exercise, go for a walk around the office walk outside, get some fresh air. But then you'll need to take gentle action. And I love that she says gentle action because that is key. Not an all or nothing, not a black or white kind of action, but gentle action to get your work done. Set some goals for yourself It might start with opening one email a day that scares you or working just 15 minutes on a project that you've avoided for weeks or longer. And this I can boy, I testify to this one. Small bits of progress where you realize you can do something and it didn't kill you lead to greater success. Uh, I put off doing something over the weekend, I wouldn't even say, but some, some online things to do for family. And I get in there and I start working on these things and it ends up taking about 20 minutes and I put this thing off for weeks because I thought it's going to be impossible. But so uh, just do a little bit, try to make time to do just even 15 minutes, 10 minutes, five minutes on a project, open one scary email or one letter, um, go through your mail, sit down with that stack of that and just little bits of progress where you realize that it was okay are going to help a lot. So we've left the last, which is the secure attachment. What a secure attachment is, is a positive view of self and a positive view of others. So this is what we are seeking in our relationships, especially when I'm talking about couples therapy. I often talk about when you secure the attachment, then, and then fill in the blank. All good things happen from a secured attachment. So positive view of self and positive view of others. Securely attached people tend to agree with the following statements. It is relatively easy for me to be emotionally close to others. I am comfortable depending on others and having others depend on me. I don't worry about being alone or others not accepting me. This style of attachment usually results from a history of warm and responsive interactions with their attachments. Securely attached people tend to have positive views of themselves and their attachments, and they also tend to have positive views of their relationships. They typically report greater satisfaction and adjustment in their relationships than people with other attachment styles, and securely attached people feel comfortable both with intimacy and with independence. So again, our goal here is awareness. If you are aware of those other attachment styles, and if that, is the, if that is what you are struggling with, one of these other attachment styles, with that awareness and the tools, this is why I think things like uh, emotionally focused therapy, EFT is so good because it is a framework that provides a, a method to secure the attachment, to help you get to this more of a secure attachment. Um, secure attachment and adaptive functioning are promoted by a caregiver who is emotionally available, and appropriately responsive to his or her child's attachment behavior. And so if we look in terms of what we're trying to do in our relationships with people, with our kids, with our partners, that we want that same thing. We want a person who is emotionally available. That is the key. Can I come to my partner and say, let me take you on my train of thought and not have them say, hey, that's nuts. Or why would you even think that? Or see what I have to put up with? None of that is 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 a, a, a recipe for emotionally avail- availability. Uh, those with secure attachment styles at work, let's go to see what Elizabeth Saunders put in this into the workplace. She says that uh, those with a secure attachment style at work take tasks as they come, they do what they can, they address the issues that come up easily. Starts to sound easy, right? They work hard, they do not fear saying no when they feel they need to, they know that they are capable and they are confident and that others will respond to them well. How to tell if this is you, you generally fare best when it comes to managing your time. You're comfortable prioritizing tasks and asking for help when you need it. Uh, you also feel comfortable writing, uh, setting healthy boundaries. <laughs> I was already I was already getting my own joke writing was gonna be <laughs> I was trying to go into this uh, how to tell this is because all this stuff the secure attachment sounds so good, right? Take two. Here's where I was gonna go. I was gonna say let me re- read that again You're comfortable prioritizing tasks and asking for help when you need it You also feel comfortable setting healthy boundaries and pushing back when necessary and you do not often engage in fear-based behavior You ride your unicorn to work every day and you live uh, in a house that is at the end of a rainbow with a giant pot of gold um, I'm not really saying that, but, uh, you know, this is possible secure attachment, but I mean, this is making it sound like who is this person that, that has all this together and uh, all these things are on a spectrum. They are, um, what to do about it. If you have secure attachment styles at work, you are most likely managing your time. Well, achieving a good work-life balance, stay secure, but be aware regularly ask for direct feedback. So there, there's something you need to work on. You can make changes. And if you notice that something seems off, for example, a big downgrade in the quality of communication with your manager, don't dismiss it as though they're distressed. Follow up in person or via email, say that I notice we're not communicating well, have I done anything to uh, to make that happen? So Elizabeth Grace Saunders, great article. Again, this was, I think it was in the New York Times. I'll have a link to it in the show notes, but she's a time management coach and author of the Three Secrets to Effective Time Investment, How to Invest Your Time Like Money and uh, Divine Time Management. And she is a regular contributor at Harvard Business Review and Fast Company, but I loved that article. So the four different attachment styles, remember, they kind of come from this place of uh, seeking a secure attachment and and being able to identify what your attachment style is and having some awareness around that will help you recognize where you can start to maybe be a bit more vulnerable in your relationships those attachment styles again were anxious and preoccupied and that is a negative view of self and a positive view of others Um, the uh, the next one we talked about was dismissive and avoidant that's a positive view of self and a negative view of others uh, following that one was one called fearful avoidant, an unstable or fluctuating or confused view of self and view of others. And then last but not least, we had the secure attachment, positive view of self and a positive view of others. So um, hopefully you've identified with one of these or maybe even a couple of them. And and that will not make you feel like, oh, man, what's wrong with me? But more of a, OK, that makes more sense. That makes sense why it's hard for me to attach to partner or try to attach to my partner especially if we have these different attachment styles so go over these you can you can google these you can find uh, there's attachment style i believe some quizzes i saw online and uh, you can determine what what is your attachment style now this would be best done within the in the framework of a emotionally focused therapy aka eft kind of dialogue where you can just say hey i'm noticing that this is my attachment style check this out and not have your partner fix or judge that, but then maybe have your partner say, okay, tell me more. And uh, then when you get to the end of that conversation, they talk about their attachment style. And I think just some awareness around that, some gentle awareness around that could lead to some different behaviors over the the next few uh, days or weeks. And then if you find that might be what kind of jump starts some new communication. And if you find that uh, that is a struggle, then please do go seek help. All right. Hey, thanks for taking time today to join me on the virtual couch. Hopefully you got a little something out of these four attachment styles. And uh, I have a lot of good interviews coming up too. I, again, I don't want to count my chickens before they hatch, but gosh, I have two, three coming up this week. I'm um, just recording the interviews and, and we'll see when we get those out there. Uh, but one of them, an atta- or an, a, a return from uh, Dr. Jennifer Finless and Fife, and she's still just is uh has an incredible following and the download numbers are, are pretty much off the charts but i love everything that she talks about so we're going to be talking a little bit later this week and i'll try to get that up as soon as i can um and a whole lot other of other great interviews as well so uh, until next time i will see you again in the virtual catch
1: compressed emotions flying past our heads and out the other end the pressures of the daily grind it's And rubber ghost, I'm floating past the